Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Support for Away With Words comes from Mosey Online Backup. Mosey protects your valuable computer files against data loss from hard drive crashes, viruses, theft, and other disasters. Find out more at mozy.com. Listening to Away with Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. We often talk about the differences between what people say and what they mean and what other people understand. So I was pleased to find a funny little write up on the blog of a woman calling herself Mommy Nolan. Writing from Logan, Utah, and using her experience with her own children, she writes about the things that she says and what her granddaughter understands. And they're not necessarily the same things. For example, if Mommy Nolan says no, her granddaughter hears maybe. And if she says maybe, her granddaughter hears ask again and again, and yes is right around the corner. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what happened in our house. The phrase was, can we see about it? Mommy, can we see about it? And she would say, yes, we can see about it. And somehow that was satisfying for everybody. I don't even know if we got what we were asking for, but that answer was satisfying. That's right. Children don't necessarily understand ambiguity, right? They don't understand gray areas. And maybe is a lot of times skewed towards yes or skewed towards no, depending upon how often they're able to get what they want from their parents. Right. Right. I'm thinking we usually won, but now that I now that I recall, I'm not so sure. But there's another thing that happens with communication. In my house, as you know, I have a, a two-year-old, and he, he speaks fairly well, but he can't always get his message across. But So what he does is a kind of misdirection. If he doesn't want to do something, he will then ask to do something that he knows will say yes to, such as use the potty, because he knows that we're trying to get him to use the potty all the time, right? Ah. It's, it's a manipulation. We know we're being manipulated, but we can't say no because we don't want to untrain him from asking to use the potty. So if he doesn't want to go to bed or if he doesn't want to go out, he might ask to use the potty so that we're forced to do the thing that he wants. And then a minute or two later, he'll always ask to do something else that he really wants to do instead of go to bed or go out. Grant, that's brilliant. That's what dog trainers do. They tell <laughs> you know, they tell you to interrupt the bad behavior and then give him a different command. That's what well, your I, kid is doing am, to you. I am training him with a whistle, or is he training no, me? No, he's I'm training sure. you. <laughs> Clearly. Well, we'd love to hear about cases of miscommunication or misdirection in your household. What are the things that you say that people misunderstand? And what are the things that people do in order to get around giving you what you've asked for? Let us know. The number is 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-WAYWORD. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Kelt in Austin, Texas. Hiya, Kelt. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you? All right. What can we do for you? Well, I was getting ready to rent a movie online, and uh, I wanted to make sure I got the right thing, so I checked out the trailer first. And then I started to wonder why we call it a trailer when we view it before we view the actual movie. Ah, so it's the, the, the few minutes that they show us, like all the highlights, the things that are supposed to compel us to pay the full price, right? Well, or in my case, rent it online. Right. Yeah, that's a great question. It's it's this linguistic relic. You're right. It doesn't make sense if the trailer's first, right? 
Right, and and uh, in some languages, it it isn't called a trailer. It's called something that indicates that it's viewed before the movie. And I guess we sometimes call it a preview. Ah, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. What is your first language? My first language is Danish. Ah, I see. And so, what do they call it? Well, we call it a four four film. A four oh, film. A four yeah. Film. So okay. the film before the film. Right. Okay. So the answer is you guys are just more logical than us. Well, I don't know about that, but no. that's certainly one possibility. <laughs> well, there is an explanation for this, and it's pretty simple. This goes back to the old days of movies when there were double features. Right. And you would do the B movie, which was sort of the opening act, the warm-up act for the real attraction. And they would stick the, the preview of the coming attraction on the end of that first movie, that opening act. So it was the trailer there. And it just became this sort of fossil that stuck. So it was trailing the movie. It was following behind. Yeah, it was, it was trailing that first little movie in advance of the real feature. Gotcha. Well, so that, so, well that explanation makes perfect sense. And I, I guess you'd have to have lived through the 1920s to know that. Right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, if that's what you're asking. No, 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 I wouldn't. <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate your help on, on that little Puzzle, thank you so much. It's a great oh, question. A lot super. of people wonder that. You know, they start looking at that word and just thinking, hmm, it's like going into an antique store and seeing something that you're sure had a function, but you just don't know what it was. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I guess you're right. And, and it is what happens when you wait for that thing to load on the computer for sure. You sit and think about things. <laughs> yeah, that's a dangerous time, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Hey, thanks a lot for calling. Thank you, Thank Kels. you for helping. All right. Bye-bye. 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 In French, they call that the bande-annonce, B-A-N-D-A-N-N-O-N-C-E, two words, and it just means film announcement. Ah. Well, or I kind of like Sometimes it's, abbre- it's abbreviated as B-A. Yeah, it works. I like the fact that the jargon has become so entrenched that it's lost its original meaning. Yeah, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Plus, it's just this kind of clunky word, trailer. Trailer. Don't you think? Yeah, the, the film boys will never let it go. No, and I like that. If you've got a question about something that's bugged you, something that makes no sense about English, wait, that's all of English. Well, give us a call, one eight seven seven. It's not a logical language, right? No, English. are you kidding? No, there's plenty no. to be explained here, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org or hammer it out on your keyboard in our discussion forums at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Hello, you have a way with words. Hey, aloha, Martha. Aloha. Mahalo. <laughs> Who's this? Uh, my name is Eric, um, and I'm calling from uh, Bellingham, Washington. Oh, I thought you were going to be from Hawaii. Yeah, they don't uh, speak I, Hawaiian, I do they? go there a lot. <laughs> ah, okay. okay. My question is regarding a little nugget of a slang word that had um, an accompanying gesture and kind of a little rhyme that went with it. Um, I grew up in the 80s, and the word is called moded. And I believe the word was designed to be used like uh, the slang word face. Mm-hmm. Like, if someone was, like, monkeying around and uh, they got caught by the teacher, you would say, Ooh, you got moated. And there was a gesture that was, you kind of scratched your chin or rubbed your chin with it. And hmm. the rhyme, <laughs> you want to hear the rhyme? Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, 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 all right. Uh, the rhyme was, moated, corroded, your booty exploded. <laughs> How old were you? Nice. Um, I am turning 40 this year. Well, how old were you when you said moated, corroded, oh. your booty exploded? Um, I was from 11 to 13. 11 to 13? 
Yeah. That's about the right age for that. And so your question is, what up with Moted? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I know what it means why we used it, but how did the gesture and the word Moted become that? Where exactly were you? Um, I grew up in um, Southern California in, in South Bay, beach community. Okay, okay. Mm-hmm. And that's consistent with this. Moted is a distinctly Californian expression. I don't know if you Googled this, but if you did, you might have come across the entry I did on my Double Tongue Dictionary website. And we should just spell this. Most of the time it's spelled M-O-D-E-D, although occasionally people will spell it as M-O-A-T-E-D. One of the theories, and this is the most reliable one, is that it's a form of the word demoted. And by a process known as apheresis, the first syllable dropped off. And so it became moted, M-O-T-E-D. And if you go to, and I'm not hyping my website just because I want people to go there, but, you know, I've got an entry for this and some citations that show it being used. But even more interesting, some people have contributed their memories of this word as far back as the early 1970s, people who grew up in California. And so there are a couple of people who say, I remember this from the mid-1970s or the early 1970s. There's at least one person who has almost exactly the same rhyme as you have. Your moted corroded and your beauty got exploded. Uh, they talk about where they're from, so Bay Area and San Francisco. And then they also talk about the meaning of the word. And what we're, you, you talked about face, like you go, oh, faced. And uh, when I was growing up, we would say, burned, you got burned, and a lot of people still use that. And that's kind of in that same way, right, to, to show that somebody got beaten or that they got uh, embarrassed or that things didn't turn out like they planned, right? Yeah, and that's pretty much, you know, I guess that's the way we used it. But why did we scratch our chin? Really good question. That that kind of stuff, gestures, are very difficult to track because they're usually not put in print. People usually don't write about gestures in that way. You know, the for example, one of the problems we have with the history of the middle finger being used as a something offensive is that people tended not to write about it. We tend not to describe these gestures in print because they're not transmitted with words. They're transmitted with the body. And so there's no... No written archive of this stuff. I don't know. I, I, yeah, that's a weird one, isn't that's it? That's a weird one. And frankly, I don't think any of my contributors, any of the people who commented on the moded entry on my website, I don't think any of them talked about it. Really? Well, yeah. I mean, we'd even use the alternate, oh, scratch the chin, which was basically the same. And you would do the gesture without the, the expression? Yeah, yeah, there's very many different variants for it. Hmm. It depends on how moded the person was and how many people were watching you mode that person. I see. Oh, right. So I this see. is interesting. I love this expression because, for once, we can actually say a little bit about its history because it's within living memory that this term has become popular. And that's – I'm always trying to find more information on this. Eric, if you come across anything new, by all means, send it our way, and, we'll, and I'll um, make sure that the world knows. All right? Well, awesome. Thanks a lot. I really enjoy your guys' show. Thanks for calling. All right. Thanks, Colin. Bye-bye, Eric. Talk to us about the slang of your high school years. We want to hear about it. The number is 1-877-929-9673 or send an email to words at waywardradio.org or you can put it on our discussion forum at waywardradio.org slash discussion. A while back, we took a call from Jenny. She works at the meat counter at Murray's Cheese and Grand Central Station here in New York City, where I am broadcasting. Her dilemma, Martha, if you remember, was what do you call a person working at the specialty meat counter? Oh, yeah, I remember that. We got a lot of responses. We did. We all agreed that meat monger sounds a little too salacious and not very delicious, and butcher 
sounds unrefined, right? You don't or a comparative. Yeah, yeah, butcher. <laughs> eh, I don't think so. So we asked for your help, and we got help from you, lots of it, in email and discussion forums and on the phone. Mary in San Diego suggested cold cutslery. Cold cutslery. Kind of works, though it sounds more like a tool or a place. Scott in Dallas suggested Salieri, maybe, but it also happens to be the Venetian composer who was Mozart's rival, played by F. Murray Abraham in the movie. Right. Dale in Indianapolis suggested carnciers, as in a Love meat that. concierge. The carn is from the Latin word for flesh, of course. <laughs> right. Brian in Dallas had a similar idea. He said carne carver, so the Spanish word for meat, carne carver. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there are many, many more. Harrison suggested deli monger. Carl suggested meat maven. Elena suggested meter D. I like meter that, D. meter D. Pamela offered meat meister. Elise wanted meat maestro. And... David in Cape Cod reminded us of the old term tripe dresser. Tripe dresser? Yeah. Would you like a top hat on your intestines, sir? Something like that. <laughs> tripe dresser. It doesn't really work, but fun. If you've got more suggestions on what to call the person who works at a specialty meat counter, give us a call. one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. The thrill of victory and the agony of being stumped by a word quiz. All that and more next on Away With Words. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. And we're joined once again by our puzzle dude, Greg Pliska. Hiya, Greg. Hi, Martha. Hi, Hi, Greg. What have you brought us this week? Well, I I thought I would introduce you to a puzzle type that you might find in the Enigma, which is the monthly publication of the National Puzzlers League. Mm -hmm. And it's a kind of puzzle we call the false opposite. Mm. Uh, And this is how it works. I'll give you hints to two words which are unrelated but which might, given their prefixes, suffixes, or other parts, be construed as opposites. Okay. How about an example? I'd clue the first word as forward motion and the second word as American legislative body. Okay. Something Congress. Yeah. So Uh Congress is the second word. The false opposite of Congress... Is progress. progress. Is progress. Oh, progress. Yeah. yeah, there you go. That's an old okay. joke. Congress and progress are opposites. Right. But if that makes sense, I'll give you a bunch of these. You yep. ready? Let's have them. Okay. Number one, to pillage or loot and a short-billed shorebird. Short-billed shorebird. Yeah. Is a, a duck? Um, a goose? A gull? Gold. It's um, a it's a less common word than those. You probably clover. get this. Oh, Mr. Whoa, Barrett. Whoa. Oh well, if it's not a duck <laughs> or a gull, it must be a plover. It's a plover. Yeah, absolutely. Plover and plunder. And plunder. The false opposite <laughs> nice. of plover would be plunder because of over and under in there. Nice. Oh, very good. Yeah. All right. Teamwork there. Um, all right. Here's a little more pop culture one. The male performer of the Quantum of Solace theme song. And the School of Rock actor. So Jack Black is the second one. Mm -hmm. But the first one, I don't remember who did the theme song for that. Was it Coldplay or something? Uh, No. Radiohead? It was the the false opposite of Jack Black. Uh, Chris White. Jack White. Uh, No, Jack White. Jack White. Jack White. White. Oh, yeah. Sure. Jack White. Better clued as the guy from the White Stripes, but you can't say White Stripes in the Jill White, though. 
<laughs> that would be that would be the false opposite opposite. <laughs> All right, here's a pair for you: workplace and in reserve. How about office and on ice? There you go. Ooh, nice. Well done. Yep. Off and on are the opposites in office and on ice. Uh, you're, you're rolling now. The New York Mets shortstop Jose and the biggest little city in the world. Uh-oh. That's what I was thinking. I was thinking sports <laughs> knowledge. I know there's a team called the Mets. They used to play at Shea Stadium. Yeah, okay. It's baseball, right? Now, so, <laughs> now they're homeless. I don't know. So here's another clue for the first word. It's a, it's a point north of San Francisco that is a national park. Reyes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And the biggest little city in the world. The biggest little silly city in the world. That's the nickname of this Nevada town. It's oh, Vegas. Reno? Reno. But what's the – I don't know what the answer is. Oh, no oh, and Reno. yes. Yes, there Reyes, we go. Reyes, R-E-Y-E-S, and Reno, R-E-N-O. I was looking at good. eyes and thinking, what's the opposite of eyes? Ears? <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, Point Reyes is a park in, in the right. north of the bay. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's on, the, it's on the coast north of San Francisco. Lovely place, actually. Um, fired as a gun and vocal reprimand. Shot and scold. Yes, very good. Ooh. Hot and cold. Hot and cold are the buried opposites in that one. And uh, I've got one more for you here. The period between childhood and maturity and a drug slangily referred to as crystal. Okay, meth? Is it the full name of meth or just meth? No. Well, do you want me to tell you? It's ju- it's no. just meth. The period between childhood and maturity. Yeah. Meth, M-E-T-H, and oh, youth. Youth. Meth oh, me and, and you. Me and oh, you. Oh, very nice. Greg, this was a lot of fun. Thanks. Thank you. Thank it's you, always, Greg. always good to be with you guys. And if you'd like to talk about grammar, slang, punctuation, or words and how we use them, the number to call is 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-WAYWORD. Or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Well, hello. How are you? Super duper. Who's this? Uh, my name is Sheldon Hubbard, and I'm calling from Dallas, Texas. Well, hello, Sheldon, and welcome to the show. Oh, thanks a bunch. I had a question about the phrase "turn to," as in as in to get to work. We used it an awful lot uh, when I was in the Navy. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. I was always wondering where that had come from. Mm-hmm. How it was did always you accompanied by uh, some fingers being pointed at and in the turning motion, as if they were a screwdriver of some sort. Like you're holding an invisible doorknob or something. Your two uh, fingers pointed to the person that needs to get to work, and then they were turning like you were turning an invisible doorknob, absolutely. Uh-huh. And tell us about the context in which you'd hear this in the Navy. Uh, normally a chief would be walking by or your superior and uh, see you uh, doing the wrong thing or, or doing nothing mm-hmm. and when you need to be swallowing a deck or <laughs> something. Just uh-huh. idle, idle hands being, being seen. And uh, I, maybe an English uh, background, I always thought. Uh, so would the officer say turn to or just make the gesture? Uh, it would be either or. Um, 
you know, sometimes they just look at you and, and kind of give you the, the gesture. Uh-huh. And you know you've got to get to work. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. I find a lot of uses of this in military books and, and papers and and stories about people's time in the service and in a few glossaries here and there. But uh, it's it's so basic a phrase that I, nobody bothers to even explain it. Does that make sense? That people feel like it's so ordinary that they don't even – it's not even really worth their attention trying to explain. <laughs> right. You just learn it and you get to work right away on right. the ship, right. right? Yeah. You don't ask an awful lot of questions. <laughs> In the Navy, right. As far as I know, the original sense was turned to T-O, like set to or go to, like oh. meaning let's do it or turn to your work. The The idea in all those phrases is sort of focusing your attention. And I think that the uh, the finger motion is probably a visual pun. Uh-huh. Don't you think? Turn two? Oh, yeah, yeah. And two fingers pointing at you. Yeah, I mean, the only other possible explanation I've seen about this is that maybe people were making that gesture because it's so noisy on ships. Oh, yeah. Wow. Hey, that's a, that's a great idea. Sure that makes noisy. a lot of sense, actually, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it's sort of just a, just a little gesture to get, get you back to work. Yeah, you guys are awesome. Oh, we try. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, you know, we have a lot of listeners here in San Diego in the Navy, of course. Um, oh, that's right. We always love drawing on their expertise, so we'd love to hear from you no matter where you are if you've been in the Navy and have something to say about this. Sheldon, thank you so much for your call. Oh, thank you guys very much. I love your show. All thank right, you. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, if you have a question about language, turn to us. The number is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Or you can email us. The address is words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Vicki. I am calling from Appleton, Wisconsin. Well, hello, Appleton. I have a question about a word that I used commonly in grade school. And then it fell out of my vocabulary, but I used it again at work and thought, my word, I haven't used this word forever. And the word we used was kype, like C-I-P-E or K-Y-P-E. We used it when we took something that wasn't really ours, but we needed, and it seemed to not be important to the adults who controlled the resources. Mm -hmm. And... We never used that word around adults because you didn't necessarily want to bring up what you did. No, but what you we were typing, doing huh? was lifting things that were in the general neighborhood, not, not in someone else's houses. And it was clearly understood not to mean steal. And if someone located what you'd carried off, which tended to be materials for building forts, um, you would, of course, give it right back. And I brought it up to a couple of friends who didn't live near me when we grew up, and a couple of them knew the word very well, and others were completely flummoxed by the idea. And I'm wondering where it came from, how I ever would have learned such a word. Were your friends also from the same part of the country? No. I grew up uh, outside Minneapolis, Another grew up in Winona, Minnesota, which is, eh, I don't know, maybe 100, 200 miles. And another one was North Dakota. Uh-huh. So it's not permanently stealing. It's just kind of appropriating or something? I mean, you give it's it... It's appropriating. And 
and when it came up in my mind just recently, I had gone into an office that was being refurbished from my office and was looking for envelopes. As I went through drawers looking for them, I found a couple of telephone receivers, which we needed in our section. And it is true that if we had put through some sort of a work order, we would get those receivers eventually. And instead, I just sort of picked those babies up and walked away and thought, I typed some telephone receivers. Right. So, so not, it wasn't stealing because it's still within the company. You're just kind of taking them out of somebody else's control and putting them in your own, right? Moving yeah. them. What would you say if, if I told you that this word is probably related to another word that's 750 years old? I would like to know what that word is <laughs> and where in the world I ever picked up such a word. Because Well, well let, let's, let's answer that in two parts. First, the word that it's probably related to is to kip, K-I-P. And okay. it, it, it originally meant something like to seize or catch or to hold on to. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can find it in the, the, the old work, the English Dialect Dictionary under KIP. And, and there it's defined as to take the property of another by fraud or violence, which is a much more severe kind of definition than you've given us. But, you know, ten, words tend to kind of blandify and ameliorate over time. They sure. tend to become more gentle. The way you learned it is the same way that you learned all of your language. You absorbed it from somebody else. And there is a language of children that kind of passes from child to child. And, of course, you learn plenty of stuff from your parents. But children do learn from each other. You could oh, have yes. easily this was, learned this. This was within the, the mob. Yeah, you could have easily learned this kids. from someone thousands of miles away. Children's language really does travel very fast because children know children the same way that adults know adults. So mm-hmm. it's, they're, they're, they may seem like they don't know that many people, but all they need to know is one other person to learn a word. And you yeah. only have to hear a word once in order to pick it up. So it doesn't take much for a word to travel. So, Vicki, mm-hmm. you kiped the word kipe. <laughs> you, or you, if, you, if it seemed appropriate, I would have. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got to tell you, Vicki, this was a really interesting story about your childhood. I love hearing this stuff. I, I talk to my wife about these things all the time, and she grew up just a state away from me, and her language was different. We had some things in common, but there were some things that were different. Kipe wasn't a part of my childhood. <laughs> well... I, you had, I think you had to be in a, in a growing up situation where you could kipe things. Oh, believe me, we kiped, but not by that word. <laughs> my father would often come, where's my 9 16th wrench? <laughs> <laughs> you may have carried more guilt. <laughs> All right, well, Vicki, oh. thank you so much for giving us a ring. Thank you. That's very interesting. And where did the word kip come from? Oh, it's, a, it's a, from British dialects. Oh, all right. Thank yeah, so you. it's got a good, strong history. Predates probably the founding of the United States. Hey, Vicky, <laughs> thank you so much for calling. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. 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 We love those questions about words from your childhood. Call us and talk about it. The number is 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-WAYWORD. Or you can send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, my name is Lee. I'm calling from Elk Grove Village, Illinois, and I have a question for you. Great. Okay. I used to think there was a distinction between the words envy and jealousy, or being envious and jealous. And I, I hear a lot of people these days saying, I'm really jealous, when I think they wish they wish uh, that they have what somebody else has. Is that distinction still uh, viable? Where were you encountering this? Uh, 
Um, I've heard it on National Public Radio, among other places. Well, surely they have perfect grammar and diction on NPR. <laughs> no, I, this yeah. is a semantic issue, not a grammatical one. All right. Well, you know, some, some of the conservative authorities will say that there's a distinction, but I think that distinction um, is something that they're looking hard for and isn't supported by the evidence at hand, if that makes sense. Is it kind of a distinction that you're jealous of... Uh, things that you own or think you own, and you're envious of what you don't have but would like? It's something like that. But the thing is, jealousy is the troublemaker here. Jealousy is the word that has the more variability to its meaning. So see if this makes sense to you. For example, you could be envious of someone, meaning you want what they have for yourself. So it could be good looks or money or a sexy bod, whatever whatever it is, but you have no claim on it, right? That's envy. Mm -hmm. It's also kind of a form of rivalry, you not only want what they have, but you want to take it away from them, and you want to be better than them because of it. So that's envy. That's kind of all wrapped up in a package there. It's about uh, possession of a quality or possession of a thing. So it's sort of, I'll have what she's having. Yeah, I like that. And, and I don't want her to have it. I want to be better than her. I want to have the good things and, and deprive her of those. Do you think? Do you think it has to do with the deprivation, though? I mean, I can see being jealous enough to drive across the country in diapers, but being envious that the other astronaut got selected to go up on the space shuttle. That's but not a, necessarily wanting to take that away from the person, just wanting to go up in the space shuttle myself. Well, if you look, I, I can say, again, again, it's one of those things that you can talk about what you believe envy and jealousy mean. But when you look at actually how people use them when they're not thinking about the meanings, the patterns fall pretty clearly. I mean, uh, by far and away. Um, so let's talk about jealous for a second. If you're jealous, you can also have envy. Envy can be kind of part of jealousy. So that's, the, that's kind of where we're getting confusion here. And also, when you have jealousy, you tend to have anger and suspicion and wariness. And, and, and you're possessive of what you already have, and you don't want someone else to take it. When you talk about the astronaut who drove across country because she was a, a jealous lover... Uh, that's what you're talking about. She did not want somebody to take her man from her, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can be jealous of someone's good fortune or their belongings or uh, their smoking hot spouse. That's, that's also jealousy. <laughs> and you can see where envy and jealousy kind of overlap there. You know, English is well known for being a language filled with synonyms and near synonyms. And I think that's what's happening here. There's an overlap. And, and um, it's definitely a case where the context of what you say or what you write is going to explain to the people you're communicating with what you mean. So it's always – these words don't stand alone. They're heavily dependent upon the company they keep in our language. And that's where the meaning is going to come through. Envy made the list of seven daily sins, didn't it? I think it did. Did jealousy not? I don't think so. Envy is enough of a troublemaker. We don't need jealousy on top of it, right? <laughs> Have yes. we provided you with some clarity here? Yes, it's a big help. I appreciate it. All right. Okay. Thank you, Lee. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Well, your questions about wordplay, grammar, slang, the little subtleties of language, we welcome them. one 929 9673 That's 1-877-W-A-Y-W-O-R-D. And you can email us to words at Grant, you know the word formication, right? Something to do with ants? Right, exactly. It's, it's spelled with an M, not an N, and it means the sensation of having ants crawling all over your skin, formication. Ah, yes. It's, it's mm-hmm. an actual medical term. Anyway, I was thinking about that word the other day, and it reminded me of a riddle for you. 
Oh, let's have it. Okay. Why don't anteaters ever get sick? I don't know why. Because they're full of little antibodies. <laughs> <laughs> I told Terrible. you it was stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Well, give us a call with your silly, stupid riddles, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, and send your questions about all things language-related to words at waywardradio.org. Support for Away With Words comes from National Geographic Books, publisher of I'm Not Hanging Noodles From Your Ears, a collection of intriguing idioms from around the world by Jag Bala. Learn more at shopng.com slash noodles. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett. A nice part of working in language is that I get to help in small ways on the work of colleagues. For example, I contributed a few terms to the brand new edition of Paul Dixon's Baseball Dictionary. It's just been published. A tiny few terms, and I was one of hundreds of people who helped him, but still, it feels good to be a part of something great. I have a copy of the Dixon Baseball Dictionary right here. It's stupendous. Stupendous. This is probably, Martha, the best specialty dictionary I've seen in years. The coverage is complete. The scholarship is excellent, and the subject matter is deeply American. You read it, and you can't be anywhere else but the United States. There are terms like to bang a game, which means to stop it because of the weather, and Bugs Bunny changeup, which is a fastball that appears to stop right in front of the plate. It's named after a pitch thrown by Bugs in one of those old Warner Brothers cartoons. It's so slow that a batter can get in all three strikes on a single pitch. There are old terms, too, like skull, a free ticket of admission, and newish terms like scullion, a very ugly player, which is probably another form of mullion, which means the same thing. I'm not a sports fan. I know very little about baseball, but I know a lot about dictionaries, and the Dixon Baseball Dictionary has slud into home plate for a big win. Well, it sounds great, Grant, but slud? Slud. Slud? Clearly not a baseball Slud? person. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm afraid I'm not, but... It's a fake past tense of to slide, and it's often attributed to Dizzy Dean, who talked about somebody who had slid into home plate. Oh, really? I had no yeah. idea. And I it's remember a... that Bugs Bunny cartoon, too. I always wondered how he did that. Uh, it's a cartoon. <laughs> yeah, it took me a while to figure thing. that yeah. one out. <laughs> you were 30. Yeah, back then. Oh, my... Well, it's, it sounds great. And the name of the, the publication again is? It's the Dixon Baseball Dictionary, third edition. Okay, got to get it. Well, anyway, if you want to talk about baseball slang or any other kind of slang or just words in general, give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673. That's 1-877-WAYWARD. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello, this is Clinton from Brooklyn, New York. Oh, hi, Clinton. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Um, I actually had a question about the term long johns. A um, friend and I were uh, playing chess, and uh, long story short, uh, he made a wrong move, and I told him I was getting my long johns in a tizzy, and he wasn't familiar with the word. And I noticed that not many people around these parts say long johns. They say thermals or long underwear. I'm originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and everyone back home always says long johns. So I was wondering how that term came about. Don't get your long johns in a tizzy. Yeah, we yep. said long johns in Missouri when I was growing up. It's, it's a great, um, what shall we say, a great genre of um, expressions involving... Words for underwear? Well, I was going to say ways to tell people to calm down that have to do with their underwear. 
Right, you know, right. I mean, I've seen don't get your long johns in a bunch. Don't get your long johns bundled up in your britches. Don't in a get twist. your yeah. Don't get your yeah. knickers in a twist. Don't get your knickers in a mm-hmm. knot. And and the favorite one that I grew up with was don't get your bowels in an uproar. <laughs> so you guys are sitting around a chessboard talking about underwear being twisted. Yeah, yeah, it was really cold that day too. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty <laughs> twisted, Clinton. So where does the word long johns come from? That is a great question, and I'm afraid it's one of those origin unknown words. I have seen one suggestion that it might have to do with John L. Sullivan. Do you know the the champion boxer from the 1880s, early 1890s? You see photos mm. of him from time to time, and he's standing there kind of posing with his arms out and his fists clenched, and he's got he's wearing what look like long johns. He's bare- Wait, they have that texture to them, along that kind of small waffle texture that Long John seemed to have. Well, I didn't get that close enough to <laughs> to look, oh. but um, but it's it's definitely the shape, you know, just the kind of tight fitting. It looks like long underwear, and he's and he's there bare chested. We we could uh, link to a we could put a picture of him on our website for an example. <laughs> I I do know that there was a newspaper in the 1940s that referred to Long Johns and said that that's where the name came from. And usually those kinds of stories are pretty iffy, but mm. I, don't, I don't know. We don't have a better answer for it unless mm. you know one. Grant. So he was, he was wearing these? Well, I don't think that John or... Sullivan was, was boxing in long underwear, but he was wearing, <laughs> I don't know what you would call those things. They're really tight fitting. They almost look silky trousers. But there's a, there's a bit of a historical gap there, right? Because yes. the, the long John's term comes from the 1940s. And Sullivan was a boxer in what period? The 1880s or something 1880s, like that? 1880s, early 1890s. Yeah. Right. So that is entirely too large of a gap for you that think? term to, lie, to, to lay dormant and then suddenly pop up in the 1940s, at least as far as I can, I can imagine. Yeah. Unless there was a movie made about Sullivan and maybe it's from the movie Sullivan instead of the, the, the original. You know, I don't know. It's always hard to say on this kind of stuff. But, you know, that is an answer. I don't know is a good answer because yeah. you, you could find many kind of harebrained theories about this that might lead you astray. And we're actually giving you the straight dope, which is nobody knows. If they tell you they know, they're full of it, and you can have them call us and we'll tell them so. So, Clinton, who won the game? <laughs> uh, that'd be me. Uh-huh. Uh, all right. Well, Clinton, thank you so much for giving us a ring. Thank you very much. All right. All right best Bye-bye. of luck to you. Bye-bye. Take care. Well, if you've got a question that you don't want an answer to, give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, And you can also send it to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Maeve, and I'm calling from San Diego. Maeve? Yes, Maeve. Well, welcome, Maeve. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing very well. What's Super up? Um, so I'm calling today about a word that actually occurred to me because of a word that I'd heard talked about on your show. So on your show, you had previously talked about the word janky. Mm -hmm. And from that, I thought of a word that I'd heard of in Ireland, which has a very similar meaning, which is banjaxed. Banjaxed. Banjaxed, yeah. And how I would spell it is B-A-N-J-A-X-E-D, banjaxed. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's how most of the dictionaries have it. Ah. They do. So so we were talking about janky meaning? Meaning something that doesn't work as it was designed to. Uh-huh. Well, uh-huh. it's a it's a little different than that. Uh, janky usually just means inferior, bad, or weird. So it kind of could encompass something that's broken mm-hmm. or malfunctioning. Mm-hmm. Banjax tends to mean busted or intentionally broken or ruined, right? 
Like you can banjax your knee or you can banjax a window or banjax a party by ruining a party? Um, well, uh, in, in terms of how I heard it used in Ireland, like an mm-hmm. old car that was very near to breaking down would be called a banjax car. Or if you hurt a body part, that body part would be banjaxed. But it's not necessarily something that was done um, by intent. Ah, I see. There we go. Yeah. As far as banjax being the origin of janky, there's a big, big gap of decades there. Oh, okay. Um, Janky doesn't really start to show up until the early 90s in the United States. And there's the problem of banjax not really being an Americanism. We People might know it here. I've but, never heard it. Yeah, I bet I bet maybe fewer than one in a hundred people in the United States would know that term. Okay. And they would probably be expat Brits like you. Okay. Are there different forms of it as well? I'm going to banjax your knee if you aren't nice to me? or I suppose I have heard it used in it, that sense, but it's normally used in the um, past tense when some... Damage has uh-huh. already happened. Up. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I see. You were raised in Ireland? Yes, correct. Uh, which part? In Dublin, and I've been here in San Diego for about 10 years now. Okay, so long enough that to, to you um, know us Americans in our, in our evil ways, but, uh, <laughs> but short enough that you still kept your accent. Sure, sure. But you don't keep <laughs> saying banjax, right, because people just look at you funny? Not too often, no. I mean, I uh, try to curb the, the amount of Irish phrases that, mm. I, that I use. <laughs> hmm. I yeah, but you that know, makes pulled, you interesting. I do too, I, but we're language people, so maybe that's... We want the I want the full force of your of your foreignism to come out, you know, when I'm talking to you. Okay. All right. Well, I hope we've helped some, Maeve. Okay. Thank you very much. All Super right. Duper. Thanks Bye-bye. for calling. Bye. Banjaxed. I love that. B a n j a x. That's how. That's that is indeed the way that it's spelled. It's almost always more often than not used in the kind of adjective form as banjaxed. So uh-huh. something can be banjaxed. Uh huh. I like mean, it. Um, ruined or broken or or. Screwed. I mean, if we can use mm-hmm. that on if if Barack Obama can say it on five national television <laughs> networks, we can say it on public radio. Uh, banjaxed is not a bad synonym for screwed or screwed up. I like it. If you've got a question about a foreignism or something that you learned when you were a child that nobody seems to say anymore, give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven nine two nine. 9673. That's one eight seven seven wayward or pop us an email to words at waywardradio.org. talking on the show about the Apple Corps Baltimore game. Mm-hmm. Remember yes, that? Evermore, forevermore, right, something like that. Right, yeah. right. And all the little variations. You eat an apple down to the core and then you yell out, Apple Corps, and then the first person who says Baltimore gets to designate which direction you throw the Apple Corps, ideally uh, at one of your friends right. or family members. Boy, did this ever generate a ton of email and phone calls. Yeah. I, you know, I think that you and I are the only people in America who never saw the Disney cartoon. My gosh, yes. This is amazing. A lot of people wrote us to tell us that they 
learned it first from a, uh, a Donald Duck and Chip and Dale cartoon. And we had so many people send us the link that we decided that we would put a link on our website so you can see it too. And I have to say, I have to add a little caveat, which is that there's some sort of, you know, ethnic stereotyping going on in that cartoon, as happened with a lot of the cartoons. Uh. Because in this particular cartoon, Donald Duck holds something explosive and explodes, and he falls all the way through the earth to China. And so the Apple Corps Baltimore game is actually played with somebody way down the hole in China. (laughs) And you can imagine how that went. But uh, anyway... Yeah, we're in a different era and a different time. Right, different sensitivities and that kind of thing. But so many people wrote to tell us about this cartoon that you and I missed that I thought we would put it on the website anyway. Right, and it's a, it's good to have it. It's not the oldest use of it, but it's definitely a place where I would call that the popularizer. Right? Yeah, yeah. We actually got a, uh, a message on our discussion forum from somebody who wrote, I'm 63 years old, I grew up in Southern California, and as a child in elementary school, this was a common game. Many of us had apples in our lunch sack or lunchbox, and when we finished eating, we played Apple Corps. And she says her mother also told her that her mother played this game as a child. She was born in Illinois in 1910. So it does seem to go back quite a ways. But I think it was Chip and Dale who, as you said, popularized it in the minds of a lot of people. Well, we always welcome your calls and comments about things that we talk about on the air. It's never too late. Give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hello, my name is Michael Harris, and I'm calling from Irving, Texas. Hi, Michael. How are you? Hi, Michael. What's up? Hi, um, I'm doing just fine. Thank you. Um, My question is about the word, which is spelled L-L-A-M-A, Yama, an animal which is common in Peru and I I think native to South America. I've always pronounced this word Yama um, because in my Spanish classes in school, I always learned that the double L in Spanish is pronounced like a Y, yeah like in the words um, tortilla, tomatillo, pollo, which means chicken, or caballero, which means gentleman. Mm-hmm. But ever since I saw a particular animated movie in 2000, the movie was The Emperor's New Groove, an animated movie. Um, all throughout that movie, that word was pronounced llama. And uh, I think in the movie, uh, an emperor is turned into a llama. I don't remember exactly why or how, but anyway, all throughout that movie, that word was pronounced llama. Um, so, I mean, in, in here living in Texas, I can accept the fact that an armadillo can, that you can find an armadillo in Amarillo, but <laughs> Good llama is just too much for me because I've always, I've always learned it was llama. So how, how did this happen? <laughs> this is complicated. Okay. <laughs> All right. Here's a couple things. The first one is that in Spanish, that double L is a single character and that double L You'll even find it alphabetized differently in Spanish dictionaries, if you remember. That double L has a bunch of different pronunciations depending uh. upon the dialect of Spanish that you're speaking. All right? So okay. in some places, it is, it is a Y sound. In right, some in places, Spain and Mexico, for sure. It's more, some places, it's more like a J, so they say llama. Uh. In some places, it almost sounds like a D, a dama, llama. It's like you can actually feel your tongue kind of shift from the Y to the J to the D. It's just a little bit different on the mouth. And and so this, the pronunciation that you learn in school, if you don't learn it natively in, in your household or, or on the streets, is going to be an approximation, kind of like the, the, the best case pronunciation of that word. All right? ah. So there's not one fixed pronunciation of llama, and that's okay. Okay. The other thing is the word is 
the same case as armadillo. It's been fully anglicized. It is fully and completely adopted into English and is no longer a foreign word. You will find no source anywhere that does something like italicize it or, or put it in quotes to show that it's, it's not native to English. And so the pronunciation is the L sound as far as most Americans are concerned. I don't know anybody that says it with the, the Y sound except if they're a Spanish speaker, and that's what their particular dialect has to say. So I can get being a little annoyed if you learned it differently. Definitely, when we're taught stuff in school and 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 we hear something different, it takes a while to reconcile that, right? Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it, can be, it can be it can be a little bit of a stumbling block, right, Martha, to get over that thing that you learned and, and you believe and and it seems so true. And you're like, wait a second, I. That, uh, oh my gosh, especially in terms of pronunciation. Yeah, and we if hold a for- so closely to that. Yeah, well, yeah, because it, it's a identity is closely bound to pronunciation. You know, it shows that we're a member of a group. But unfortunately, Michael, the the pronunciation of llama is probably best is the just a straight up L sound. Now, if you go to parts of South America and Central America, you're going to be absolutely fine with your pronunciation. Okay, well, uh, thanks for thanks for talking me through it. I mean, I feel a little bit better about it now. <laughs> <laughs> we talked yeah. you off the roof, right? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Hey, Mike, I have a question for you. Yes. What are we going to do about vicuna? Oh, that's oh. a big one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you've given him something all new to worry about, that's Martha. That's right. Forget the llamas. What about the bicunas, you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, it's something new to think about, I guess. <laughs> yeah, something to pass the hours. Well, right? Michael, thank you for calling. It's a thoughtful question, and we're glad to answer it, all right? Okay, thank you very much. Okay. Take care. Adios. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. We should probably go back and say that just because the movie did it that way, that's not what makes this right. Because big, big productions get things wrong. And, and, and professionals get things wrong all the time. Witness, Martha, and Grant. Right. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say that. Yeah. No, yeah. but I remember, uh, I remember a, a drama uh, that was done on the BBC, which is a highly professional organization. It's, it was a radio show. So it's all about the voice, right? And mm-hmm. it was about my hometown of St. Louis, where I was uh-huh. born. And through the entire drama... They pronounced it St. Louis. Oh, and really? I had, I had to email them and say, you know what? <laughs> that pronunciation is only a joke. We only say that in the song and only when we're kidding. Nobody in seriousness ever calls the town St. Louis. Did they and write so they were back? reading like they were reading this dram- yeah, they did. They actually read my letter on the air. They were ah. reading these dram- these dramatic letters from this woman. You know, it wasn't a comedy, you know, it was drama. They were reading these dramatic letters and she would say I can't wait to see you in St. Louis. And I'm like, ah, no, she would never say that. It was St. Louis. (laughs) Or if in the the St. Louis accent, she might actually say St. Louis because that's how they say it. But anyway, so I just wanted to say to Michael, you know, you you should always call those higher authorities into question. Yes, and you should call us at 1-877-929-9673 or send your emails to words at waywardradio.org or pop by our discussion forum. That's at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Things have come to a pretty pass. That's our show for this week. Support for our program comes from Mosey Online Backup. Got data? Visit mozy.com. If you didn't get on the air today, you can leave us a message anytime. Call us at 1-877-929-9673. Or email your questions to words at waywardradio.org. Or join the conversation right now on our discussion forum, You'll find it at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. Tim also engineered our theme music. Kurt Conan produced it. 
We've had production help this week from Michael Bagdasian and Josette Herdell. From the Argo Network in New York City, I'm Grant Barrett. From Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. So long. Bye-bye. Either, either, neither, neither, let's call the whole thing off. You like potato and I.